This is the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome to the camp. I guess you all know why we're here. My name is Tommy, and I became aware this year. If you want to follow me, you've got to play pinball. And put in your earplugs, put on your eye shades, you know where to put the cork. Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. Green onions? Yeah, I told you I was just going to throw yeah, out a bunch of what random. What is that, Booker T? Booker T and the MGs. Yeah. yeah. Told you I was going to throw out some random 60s stuff. There you go. So this will be fun. We got a busy show this morning. I'm going to read the Psalm, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple." That's Psalm 27. We have today with us um, our 6th District Congressman Garland Hale Barr IV. Uh, I like to call him his real name. Uh, somehow they pulled Andy out of that. I don't know how they did that. But there's, there's no Andrew in there. Uh, yeah, he was born in Lexington, Kentucky. Son of Garland Hale Barr III and Reverend Donna R. Faulkner Barr. The Barr family has been in Lexington for generations, and Barr Street in that city is reportedly named for one of Barr's ancestors. I'm reading off your... That's right. Who did your Wikipedia page? You got a pretty nice... Yeah. Uh, You you know, I don't know. Uh, You know, Wikipedia is kind of a compilation of uh, many contributors. Right. Well, anyway, Andy Barr, our uh, 6th District Congressman, here to speak to us about what he's been doing lately and i feel like this is a service that uh the tom dupree show can do for the uh constituents of our uh of our district and having the congressman on from time to time and just to get him to talk about what what he's doing and what's happening i'm sure he's getting used to a new uh lay of the land in washington uh with the democrats having taken over control of the house of representatives but uh He's still on the various committees that he's on, uh, and most of them, I guess, aren't you? Well, I've picked up a committee, and and obviously because we've moved into the minority, uh, some of my assignments on the Financial Services Committee have changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I picked up an assignment to um, serve on the House Veterans Affairs Committee, and that's a terrific uh, opportunity to uh, uh, continue to serve the veterans of the 6th Congressional District, but with greater influence. Uh, We had our first... Uh, hearing on the future of the VA last week, uh, uh, a hearing on the vision of 3030 for the VA, and Secretary Robert Wilkie, the Secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs, testified in front of our committee uh, and did a great job. And uh, there's a lot of transformation going on at the VA right now that we can talk about. Uh, But the Financial Services Committee is also keeping me busy. Uh, I was the chairman of the Monetary Policy and trade subcommittee uh, in the last Congress with oversight over the Federal Reserve System and also the Treasury Department's implementation and enforcement of sanctions. That was a a busy and important assignment. In this Congress, uh, our new ranking Republican leader, uh, Congressman Patrick McHenry from uh, North Carolina, has asked me to serve in a different role, also on the leadership team, but now 
uh, be- I think because of my uh, background as a recovering lawyer and recovering <laughs> litigator, uh, serve as the ranking Republican member on the Oversight and Investigations Subcommittee, which is going to be a very, very busy subcommittee uh, in this Congress as uh, Chairwoman Maxine Waters signals her uh, intense interest in rigorous oversight over the Trump administration. Uh, I share her passion for oversight and holding the executive branch accountable, regardless of who uh, the uh, occupant of the of the White House is, whether they're a Republican or a Democrat. Uh, but as I've told her and my other Democrat colleagues, uh, the oversight needs to have a legitimate legislative purpose. It needs to inform our work. Uh, and we need to be focused not on fishing expeditions or partisan politics, but instead uh, oversight over the financial regulators to make sure they're doing the job that we in Congress have assigned them to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, that would be uh, the fishing expedition part uh, is going to happen under this Congress, uh, as we just saw with uh, um, the uh, witness uh, uh, Anthony Cohen or sorry, Michael Cohen, Cohen. Mm-hmm. Um, which was just nothing but a colossal fishing expedition and found it led to n- pretty much zero uh, proof of collusion with Russia, which is what the whole thing's been about to begin with. Well, it's funny, a, a reporter um, I, I would characterize as a liberal reporter uh, came up to me uh, this week during that hearing, uh, and she said, uh, uh, she very excitedly asked me if I was watching uh, the and following the the Michael Cohen uh, oversight hearing, and I said no, no, I, I I have not been. And she says, well, don't you think that's your job? Don't you think you know, as a member of Congress, you should be following what's going on in the oversight committee? And I said, well, with all due respect, I have the chairman of the Federal Reserve in my committee, the committee on which I'm assigned to do work. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, don't you think you should you know pay more attention to what's happening in the oversight committee? And I said, no, my job is not. Uh, to work on the oversight uh, committee. I've got a subcommittee in my committee, the oversight mm-hmm. subcommittee that I, I have to focus on. And, and and we have the chairman of the Federal Reserve, and we have a very important job to do at the same time that these other committees are doing their work. And I just don't think that a disbarred liar is more important than the chairman right. of the Federal Reserve. Exactly. Right. And especially that's to, a good answer. Especially to the state of the, 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 the economy, which, by the way, is humming. Uh, this economy continues to perform well. Uh, we had a little bit of a of a reduction in the in the Commerce Department's um, report on the GDP output uh, uh, because of the volatility in the market in the, in the fourth quarter, because of China and trade uncertainty, uh, because of some of the uh, um, uh, developments in in global growth, the slowdown in global growth. Europe has problems. China is feeling the pressure of. Uh, the U.S. Uh, efforts on trade. And so you do have a uh, global slowdown, but the U.S. economy is the envy of the world. Um, uh, wages are up, growth is up, unemployment is down, and it's real wage growth that we're seeing. The first right. ser- serious uh, inflation-adjusted wage growth in uh, well over a decade. Right. And, uh, and that's been going on because you had so much pent-up demand and uh, – production that didn't occur during the Obama years because of regulatory drag and uh, things like that, that you're beginning to see uh, that come to fruition now with uh, a lot of the regulations having been taken off. That's right. And Chairman Powell, in his testimony this week on the state of the economy, acknowledges that fiscal policy, fiscal stimulus is a big factor in why we have a booming economy, the fact that we did pass tax cuts uh, to make our business sector far more competitive uh, in the global marketplace, the fact that individuals and families are able to keep more of what they earned. Uh, There's more capital expenditures because of the changes that we made in the expensing rules and the depreciation rules. Uh, You're you're seeing more investment, which is improving productivity in the economy. Mm -hmm. And then the deregulation has also, as you point out, had a major impact in terms of just the general psychology in the country, the willingness of entrepreneurs to invest, create jobs, grow their businesses, provide greater opportunities for workers. And really, if there's any deficiency in our economy today, it's that there is insufficient labor supply. Right. Unemployment is low. Labor participation, even among the prime age workers, which has been 
we've seen maybe uh, part of the, the problem. We're seeing unemployed people come back into the workforce looking for jobs, and employers are in, a, in an expansionary cycle, and they need workers, and they can't find skilled workers. So uh, I'm very excited to be working in this Congress as chairman of a, a task force looking at all the factors that go into the American worker and, why, and, and what we can do in terms of public policy to bring more people into the workforce. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of co- contributing factors to why we have insufficient labor supply. Part of it is skills. We need, we need to invest in education, particularly career technical education. Workforce Vo- development. Vocational education, exactly. Uh, part of it's the opioid epidemic, which has sidelined uh, too many workers, and we need to give them a second chance. Criminal justice reform is part of that, to bring people uh, back into the workforce uh, after a period of incarceration. Uh, but welfare reform is also something that we're going to be looking at. The fact that we continue to pay people, able-bodied, work-capable adults in their prime working years, we're paying them to not work. That is also contributing to... Of the deficiency in labor supply. That's not going to get anywhere with the Democrats uh, in office, I wouldn't think. Well, you know what we... They, they like to buy their votes. We our, our attitude, Tom, our attitude is, look, uh, in the majority you can legislate. We did so with tax cuts and deregulation. In the minority, you communicate. And we're going to take advantage of this opportunity in the minority. There's purpose in the minority. We're going to be promoting policies that even if they will not get a vote in Congress, we're preparing for the next opportunity the American people give us to legislate the next time we're in the majority. And we're going to be presenting our proposals, including welfare reform, uh, including criminal justice reform, education reform, uh, um, to the American people. And uh, we'll let them decide uh, what they want. Do they want uh, what the Democrats are proposing now, which is socialism, or do they want free enterprise and, op- and an opportunity economy? I want to talk a little more about that when we come back from the break. It is the Tom Dupree Show. It's News Radio 630 WLAP. What's now? Right now. North Korea. Michael Cohen. What's next? What happened next? Steel wall. To be president of the United States. Prime Minister Netanyahu. What's history? Made history today. It's what matters. What's What's going on? On News Radio 630 WLAP. Hi, I'm Tom Dupree. During times of market volatility, as we have just experienced, it's easy for investors to panic. Some investors want an easy solution, like an annuity, to manage the ups and downs of the market. Some want to seek the safety of bonds and bond funds. At times like this, it's often wise to examine what the long-term returns of equities have been versus other asset classes. At Dupree Financial Group, we use times of market volatility as an opportunity to purchase securities at lower prices than where they may have recently traded. If you'd like to know how our investment process may help you and your retirement investments, then give us a call at 859-233-0400 to set up an appointment. It may be an eye-opening experience for you in this new year. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 and dupreefinancial.com. 630 WLAP. Back on the Tom Dupree show. So we've got uh, Representative Andy Barr with us. You just came back from your third trip to Israel with uh, APAC, I believe. No, this was not an APAC trip. This this was a trip uh, that was sponsored by a group called the Yes Israel Project. Okay. It it is uh, supported by uh, Christians for Israel. Right. Uh, and a, a specifically a group called Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. Uh, and it was a terrific trip. This was the, my first uh, return visit to the state of Israel and to the Middle East since 2015. And that was when the Obama administration was ne- negotiating right in the middle of the negotiations of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the so-called Iran nuclear deal. Uh, and uh, this is my first return trip since President Trump relocated the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Fabulous trip. Good. Talk about it. Well, the first thing we did was we we traveled to um, places in the 
in what's what's sometimes referred to as the West Bank mm-hmm. uh, and also East Jerusalem behind the so-called Green Line. Uh, the Green Line was the border between Israel and the Palestinian-controlled territories between the War of Independence, 1948, and 1967. In 1967, there was the so-called Six-Day War, and that was um, when the Israelis, uh, anticipating a— um, a preemptive strike uh, attack from Arab na- neighboring Arab nations, Jordan, Egypt, Syria. Uh, they moved into this, the so-called disputed territories, the West Bank, and they reclaimed that territory for the state of Israel uh, all the way to the Jordan River. Um, to this day, and the Oslo Accords in the early 90s uh, ad- attempted to address this issue. There have been uh, many uh, uh, pieces to the history of the peace process, uh, but Israel controls, under Israeli law, all of this territory of modern-day Israel, but the West Bank and Gaza and East Jerusalem remain a predominantly Palestinian-occupied territories. But there, there are settlements. There are Israeli settlements like, for example, the Gush Etzion region of Judea, south of, of, south of Jerusalem. North of Jerusalem is a place called Samaria, from, mm-hmm. your, from your biblical reading. You can, you can read about uh, the Good Samaritan uh, north of Jerusalem. That's also in the West Bank. And we went to those places to observe uh, integration, where Jewish and Arab families uh, live in close proximity. And to be sure, there's conflict, there's, there's problems, but we saw a lot of good there too. And we saw that, um, that this, uh, this idea, this uh, this proposal of a two-state solution uh, that you've heard about so often, the idea of, of, uh, of removing Jewish settlers from the West Bank is a horrible, horrible idea. Because frankly, where you see uh, Jews and Arabs working together, that's where you have the most peace. Mm-hmm. That's where you have uh, the, the greatest potential for the peace process actually working. Not not uh, a top-down solution from European politicians and a cocktail party drawing, you know, drawing lines uh, on the map, but actual hard, the hard work of integration uh, where Muslims and Jews and Christians can live in peace together working for a common purpose. That is the answer, in my judgment, as opposed to these politically contrived solutions. Look what happened to, to the Gaza Strip. When the Israelis pulled out of Gaza, when the settlers pulled out of Gaza— Hamas took over, the terrorist organization Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad took over, and it's a basket case now, uh, supported by Iranian rockets, uh, and it's a terrorist zone. And it not only threatens, it not only threatens uh, the Israelis who live near the border with the terror tunnels coming into the, um, into the kibbutz and the villages around Gaza, but also threatening the Muslims, the Arabs who live and are trapped in a poverty-stricken, terrorist-ridden Gaza Strip. So we know what doesn't work, uh, and we know that Oslo, the Oslo Accords were a disaster. But what we, what we observed in both Judea, in the Gush Etzion region, and also in Samaria, uh, at, the, um, uh, at a location where we saw the Barkhan Industrial Zone, we saw 8,000 workers, Jews and Arabs, this is in Samaria, Jews and Arabs working together in about 164 different businesses, um, many of them are Jewish-owned businesses, uh, but there's Russian immigrants there, there's Arabs, there's Jews, and it's a meritocracy. It's free enterprise. It's capitalism working really? in the West Bank, and that's where peace. In 30 years in the, in the Barkan Industrial Zone, you've had only one uh, incident of violence between Arabs and Jews, and really what it was was more of a conventional workplace violence uh, issue uh, uh, than anything else, than anything related to the Palestinian-Jewish conflict. So where we see Jews and Arabs working together, Jews sometimes supervisors of Arabs, sometimes Arabs supervisors of Jews, uh, you see them pulling together in a common purpose, getting to know each other, getting to know about their hopes, their aspirations, their dreams, their family, and guess what? There's peace. There's peace because free enterprise delivers peace. And that is uh, one of the, the takeaways. But there were several other uh, observations that I made in this first trip in the last four years. Uh, we met with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. We met with Israel's Deputy Foreign Minister uh, Hotaveli. We met with top Israeli intelligence and defense officials, the IDF. We met with a top 
uh, official with the uh, Israeli Defense Forces on the security situation. Uh, and then we met with the U.S. Ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, and we visited uh, him both at his residence in Tel Aviv and the newly re- relocated embassy in Jerusalem. And we see that that uh, was a, uh, a very good decision by President Trump to finally do what previous presidents said that they were going to do and that the law required, which was to recognize Jerusalem as the eternal capital of the Jewish people and the, and the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. And that is a good move for both Arabs and Jews because we've consolidated the consulate and the embassy together. And instead of having a consulate dedicated just to the Palestinian Authority in Jerusalem and an embassy dedicated just to Israeli Jews in Tel Aviv, now we're actually taking the issues of both the Palestinians and the Jews together in a consolidated, integrated embassy. And that is enhancing communication between Arabs and Jews. Um, so that was uh, that was a, a very positive experience, and then we, and then of course we, we we came away with a restored appreciation for Israel's biblical past. We visited some amazing sites that, if you come from the Judeo-Christian tradition, frankly, if you come from the Islamic tradition, all of these from the Old Testament, you come away with an, 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 an incredible appreciation for these amazing stories of the Old Testament. Uh, down in Judea, we went to uh, we went to Hebron. And I, I reminded the folks there, both the Palestinians and the Israelis, that Kentucky has a Hebron. It's called Hebron. <laughs> and it's in northern Kentucky. We also, by the way, we have a Mount Tabor Road in Lexington. Uh, that's also from Israel up in the north near Galilee. But when we were down in, in, in Hebron, uh, which is a Palestinian-controlled city, it's a Muslim city, Arab city. Uh, but there is, um, there's this amazing piece of Jewish a Judeo-Christian history there, and it's called the Cave of the Patriarchs. And as the Jewish uh, historian scholar who was our tour guide told us, you know, it's really the Cave of the Matriarchs as well, because in that place, in that, in those caves, and there's been there's been sanctuaries uh, built over top of this, and 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 re- remodeled and changed and fought over for millennia. But four thousand years ago, uh, Abraham and Sarah, uh, his his wife. Uh, uh, are buried there. Oh, boy. And his son, um, Isaac. And, of course, the great uh, Old Testament story of Abraham and his incredible faith to take his beloved son, Isaac, uh, to to deliver him as a sacrifice uh, in Mount Moriah, which is now Jerusalem. Uh, and then the mercy of God to spare Isaac and give uh, a faithful uh, Abraham, his his reward, which was his beloved son. This this was an amazing amazing visit as a Christian to see this place and to visit the the, the tomb of, of of Abraham. But it also goes to show that even though it's a Muslim city, the idea that you could just completely wipe away Jewish history from the disputed territories just doesn't make sense. Yeah. That's fantastic, Andy. I wish we could spend the whole time on it. We will uh, be back in just a moment and uh, continue talking with Andy Barr, our 6th District Representative. It's the Tom Dupree Show. Ask yourself, if you built a van for your business, where would you start? At the beginning, of course, with the people who invented the work van over 100 years ago, Mercedes-Benz. You'd give your new Mercedes-Benz Sprinter advanced technology and safety to keep you connected and protected. You'd make it available in diesel and gas, and there would be thousands of configurations and upfits to choose from. You build it right here in the USA because your one-of-a-kind business deserves nothing less than a van that's built for you. Introducing the all-new Mercedes-Benz Sprinter, the safest, most innovative Sprinter yet, starting at just 33,790. Built for you, the all-new Sprinter, built in the USA. Mercedes-Benz. Vans, born to run. MSRP excludes all options, taxes, title, registration, transportation, charge, and dealer prep fee. Options, model availability, and actual dealer price may vary. See dealer for details about costs and terms. Equipment described as optional. 2019 Mercedes-Benz printer available soon. Most serial killers don't make any effort to involve the media or investigators. They almost want their crimes to go unnoticed. But the idea of committing a crime and then calling up the police and bragging about it, that's a whole nother level of terror. Here we are. 50 years after the first Zodiac killing. Who doesn't want to know how it turns out? From the creators of Atlanta Monster comes season two. This is Monster, 
the Zodiac Killer. Listen and follow on the iHeartRadio app. An unmanned demo launch, SpaceX's Crew Dragon blasted off from Cape Canaveral, Florida in a pre-dawn mission. Here, ignition, liftoff. Hitching a ride on a Falcon rocket, the capsule carrying a life-size test dummy named Ripley and bound for the International Space Station. CEO Elon Musk. It worked so far. We have to dock the station, we have to come back, uh, but it's, so far it has worked. The joint launch with NASA stepped towards resuming astronaut flights from the U.S. eight years after the final space shuttle mission. President Trump will head to Maryland this morning. He's a keynote speaker today at the annual Conservative Political Action Conference. Vermont Democratic Senator Bernie Sanders heads back to his birthplace of Brooklyn. He'll officially kick off his Democratic presidential campaign. And a breakthrough for teachers in Oakland, California Friday. They're slated to go back to the classrooms as early as next week if they approve a tentative agreement reached Friday between the union and school district. I'm Michelle Franz in ABC News. We'll see the cloud cover stick around as we kick off the first part of your weekend across the bluegrass. Overall, not a bad-looking day out there. And temperature-wise, it is milder as highs eventually climb into the mid to upper 40s. Looking ahead for tonight, clouds build back in, rain and snow becomes likely late as lows drop off into the lower 30s. For your official weather station, News Radio 630 WLAP, I'm WKYT meteorologist Chris Johnson. Broadcasting live 24 7 from the Tiffany Thacker State Farm Studios, this is Lexington's News Radio 630 WLAP. This tax season, get more in return during Furniture World Superstore's incredible tax refund sale. Furniture World stretches your tax refund with huge savings and two years no interest on beautiful furniture for every room and comfortable mattresses. Hurry in for tax time deals like this. Buy a sofa and love seat set. Get the matching recliner free. Plus, enjoy no interest for two full years with approved credit and minimum purchase. See store for details. Tax refund time is the best time to save on new furniture. So don't wait. Make your tax refund dollar go farther during the incredible tax refund sale now at all furniture world superstore locations closed sunday so shop online at furnitureworldsuperstore.net use your tax refund to get a better night's sleep at furniture world superstore choose from top brands including our own private reserve collection mattresses now when you buy a mattress get a free box spring or upgrade to an adjustable base and save five hundred dollars now at furniture world superstore closed sunday so shop online at furnitureworldsuperstore.net you know, for visiting teams, the trip to the home court of the Big Blue usually ends in disaster. But for every disaster that happens off the quarter field, call the fire, water, cleanup, and restoration specialists at 1-800-SERVE-PRO. That's where you'll find the team that's faster to any size disaster, thanks to 27 locations across Kentucky. So when fire or water threatens your home or business, call on the big green vans. It's 1-800-SERVE-PRO. That's S-E-R-V-P-R-O or servepro.com. Go Big Blue. 630 WLAP. Back on the Tom Dupree Show. Representative Andy Barr. Andy, tell us a little more about your recent trip to Israel. Yeah, in Samaria, uh, north of Jerusalem, we went to a place called Shiloh, which if you read the book of Judges, you'll re- remember that um, after the Exodus, uh, for 40 years, the Israelites were in what's now modern-day Jordan in the wilderness. And um, according to the scriptures, uh, uh, God punished the uh, the Jewish people for not going into the land of milk and honey immediately, uh, crossing over into Jordan. I'm sorry, over the Jordan River into uh, the promised land. But then that next generation, a full generation separated from Moses, uh, Joshua, they did cross the Jordan River and they entered into what is modern day Samaria, the West Bank, and they set up uh, their tabernacle, their worship site at a place called Shiloh. Well, we went to see this. Uh, We went to see the archaeological ruins, um, which have been kind of discovered since the early 1970s. We met the family, the Jewish family, that discovered this this incredible uh, site. It is really uh, the modern-day Indiana Jones. Really? Because this is where the Ark of the Covenant, the the tablets, where the tablets that that were uh, broken on Mount Sinai— were you know placed into the Ark of the Covenant, mm. and the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the holiest place in the tabernacle for 360 years. We actually saw this site, incredible. And so again, reinforcing the point that 
the 67, the, I'm sorry, the 1948 Green Line that separated Israel from the West Bank, it makes no sense from a historic biblical standpoint because the, this is 3,500 years ago we're talking about where the Jewish people and the, uh, the Jewish tradition uh, dates back to this territory uh, at Shiloh. And so, again, this is close to that Barkan Industrial Zone where we saw Jews and, and Arabs living and working together in peace. And so, once again, this idea that we should separate into a two-state solution is, is really not uh, consistent with either biblical history or the reality on the ground. Uh, the other thing we did, of course, as a Christian, which was which fascinating, was to was to go to the Temple Mount. Most Christians and Jews are typically not able to go there because it's where the the um, in in the in the old city of Jerusalem, it is where the uh, the um, Al Aska Mosque is uh, that was built in the seventh uh, century uh, A.D. And it's also where uh, the Dome of the Rock, the big gold dome in the in the city is. That was built again in the 7th century by um, Sultan Omar uh, when he took over uh, from the Christians that were actually in control at that time um, to to wipe out any evidence of Judaism or Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, the Crusaders came in uh, 400 years later, the Turks after that, the Byzantine era, then the British, and then... Uh, and then the modern era. So you've 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 had this piece of land since the time of, uh, uh, really since uh, Abraham, but uh, and the Canaanites. But but actually after that, King David a thousand a uh, thousand BC, of course, set up the uh, city of David there. And we actually went to the site, the archaeological ruins of the city of David as well. And there's an archaeological dig that's going on underneath. Um, uh, Arab and Israeli Jewish uh, homes uh, just to the south of, of the old city of Jerusalem where we're actually uncovering the ancient city of David. Really? And um, there's wow. and it, we, we actually walked on the pilgrimage road 60 feet underground. The pilgrimage road, we asked the archaeologist there who was our tour guide, and literally this is underneath um, homes that were built uh, pr- predominantly by Palestinians uh, after 1948, to to cover up the evidence of the Jewish um, heritage there, uh, but when we were walking on the pilgrimage road, we asked, uh, "What are the chances that Jesus Christ walked on this road?" And he said, "100 percent, 100 percent, because of." So this is down in a cave. It's basically down under under 60 feet underground, but wow. the, but the archaeolo- the archaeologists are digging this up right now, and it's very important to Israel that they that they show this to UNESCO and to the UN, which has condemned Israel for occupying mm-hmm. a Palestinian territory because they're showing to UNESCO, which is supposed to be in the business of preserving world cultural sites, that in fact this is one of the most sacred, important archaeological finds in the world. Uh, the old, the ancient city of David, and, 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 and the UN is punishing the state of Israel, sanctioning the state of Israel for actually just reconnecting with its heritage there. So very, very fascinating, very important. We did also hear from uh, the, um, the Israeli uh, government about the, and the, and the folks who are in the West Bank about the damage that the boycott, divestment, and sanctions program that you see, the, the Europeans, and even in the United States, you see some of these non-governmental organizations boycotting Israel for so supposedly occupying the West Bank. Well, the, the reality is, again, when you look at what's going on over there, you see Arabs and Jews working together in the so-called disputed territory uh, and living in prosperity. And when uh, a Western European uh, government or when a U.S. organization calls for a sanction or boycott of uh, these businesses in the West Bank, what they're doing is they're hurting the Arabs who work there. They're not helping the Palestinians. They're hurting the Palestinians who actually have opportunity and economic uh, potential because they're working in a business under Israeli law in the West Bank. And they're far more prosperous uh, than their um, Arab brothers and sisters who are under the repression of Palestinian control. So that was an insight that I took away. And then finally, we we got a very important briefing from the Israeli Defense Forces. Um, and from Prime Minister Netanyahu and his deputy foreign minister about the impact uh, that the U.S. Uh, decision to pull out of the Iran nuclear deal. What, what is the impact on that? 
And um, it was very, very clear from our briefing, um, some of which I can't discuss, but some of which I can discuss. And what I can discuss is that after the uh, after the nuclear deal, they saw a dramatic increase in hostile, aggressive activity from the Quds Force, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, Iran coming into southern Lebanon and helping Hezbollah, coming into Syria and assisting uh, some of the uh, so, some of the terrorists, the Shiite terrorist organizations uh, that uh, border Israel and the Golan Heights, um, more rockets, a surge in uh, the rockets uh, that were available to the terrorists uh, bordering, um, uh, bordering um, uh, Israel. And they even saw an uptick in rockets in the, among Sunni terrorists, uh, Hamas, uh, down in, in Gaza. They were finding Iranian uh, serial numbers and Iranian uh, Iranian rockets, even uh, with uh, the Sunni terrorists. So, in other words, the Shiites, uh, the Iranians, after the nuclear deal, were helping even Sunni terrorists uh, threaten Israel. And what what we also heard from the IDF is that there has been a material, significant, uh, provable decline in the capabilities of these uh, terrorist proxies since we have reimposed sanctions. And the Iranian economy is in free fall. This was the right decision to advance the right. security of Israel and the United States. It's what, what uh, strikes me. To pull out of the deal. What strikes me is this kind of eternally precarious nature of all these political arrangements that they all kind of are on a shoestring, you know, and that if one thing goes wrong here, something else can go wrong here, that they're all very delicately balanced. And the fact that Trump has been president in the United States is a sort of a just in time thing for that region. And, uh, has, and it is, his presidency is precarious with the Democrats trying to destroy it. It's just interesting how there's always these yapping dogs trying to destroy any semblance of peace and prosperity. Well, you know, if you think about it, Israel is our most important strategic ally in that region and I would argue in the world because this is the counterweight in a very dangerous neighborhood. It is a free, democratic, sovereign, independent nation, an ally of the United States which represents a critical counterweight to Iran and to other terrorists uh, or uh, regimes and and, um, and failed states that are in that region. And it's basically our largest and most significant aircraft carrier yeah. in the Middle East. If you think about what Israel represents to American national security, when you have the mullahs in Tehran uh, chanting death to America and death to Israel and threatening to... Um, uh, to recreate the Holocaust uh, by bringing annihilation to the Jewish people. Uh, and they are announcing that this is their intention. The Nazis did not announce their intentions before the Holocaust. They concealed it. The Iranians and the, not the Iranian people, but the, um, but, but the mullahs and the Ayatollah, they are announcing another Holocaust. And so we need to stand with Israel. We need to give uh, our full backing to Israel, and that's why I fully support President Trump's decision to relocate the embassy and to provide additional support to the Israeli people. So uh, we were going to talk a little more about Congress as it stands right now, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and you're on a committee with her, and, and talk a little bit about the current uh, footing of uh, today's Congress. Well, you know, uh, we have not just uh, not just my new colleague from the Bronx, uh, uh, Ms. Cortez, but we have um, several other members of uh, the freshman Democratic uh, majority who are self-proclaimed socialists, and they and they say so unabashedly that they believe in uh, so-called uh, Medicare for all or single payer in healthcare. They believe uh, in dramatically increasing taxes uh, on the American people. Uh, they believe in taxing uh, capital formation and hampering capital formation. They don't believe in capital because capital is the fundamental uh, building block of capitalism. Uh, they believe in uh, more central planning from Washington, less freedom for the American people, and they're unabashed about that. Uh, and uh, they are critics of free enterprise, and they are uh, and they are advocating for the so-called Green New Deal, uh, which a former CBO, nonpartisan CBO director recently scored at 93 trillion dollars over 10 years 
is the is the full cost of the the so-called green new deal uh this would this is not about environmental protection uh because if you if you actually were to implement the green new deal uh the 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 scientific evidence that's available to us uh suggests that even if we implemented it fully uh we would by 2100 reduce uh, global temperatures by 0.2 percent celsius uh, and would not have any material impact on the polluters uh, that are the real problem in China and India and lesser developed countries. But what it would do is it would bankrupt America, and it would destroy the free enterprise system in America. Uh, it would ban tractors. It would, it would ban uh, cows. It would, it would prohibit uh, air travel. Uh, it would put the government in charge of uh, the energy grid, meaning uh, less affordable and uh, less reliable power. Um, it's just a, 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 a utopian disaster, and it would, it would guarantee the uh, eternal poverty of the American people. Uh, so this is a terrible idea. It is uh, the height of naivete, and we are, uh, over the next two years, in a terrific opportunity, in my opinion. We could wring our hands that the Democratic Party is lurching towards socialism, that they have these new freshman members who are giving legitimacy to the idea of socialism or attempting to give legitimacy to the idea of the, the failed uh, program that we've seen in Venezuela and other countries around the world. But I look at it as a tremendous and golden opportunity to put socialism on trial. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to do that over the next two years. We are going to put socialism on trial in the House Financial Services Committee uh, in the minority. And we're going to be joined by right-thinking Democrats who are scared to death uh, politically and otherwise of these new naive freshman members, uh, colleagues who are actually promoting an abandonment of the American experiment. So you're talking about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You're talking about Rashida Tlaib. You're talking about uh, Ilhan Omar. Uh, is, is she Correct. come out as a socialist? And yes, and these are, and, and for whatever reason, Nancy Pelosi put these uh, freshman members on the House Financial Services Committee, which I think is great because we are, our committee is the heartbeat of the American economy. Uh, the House Financial Services Committee is at the epicenter of our capitalist system. And for whatever reason, the House Democratic leadership have put uh, members who are openly hostile to that system uh, on our committee um, to test our resolve to defend the American uh, the American system, which has delivered uh, the most free, prosperous nation in the history of the world. So let's talk a little bit about um, we, we've got those things covered. Let's talk a bit uh, about things that you're working on that relate back to Kentucky and people here in this district? Well, good uh, question. We're First of all, serving on the Veterans Affairs Committee is a great opportunity to kind of elevate our work for our Veterans Coalition, which is now over a 1,000 strong. Uh, we have uh, members of all uh, service members and veterans from all branches uh, of all eras, World War II all the way through the Global War on Terror. And so we encourage any veteran out there who would want to come to our uh, meetings to sign up and, and call our district office uh, to join. We have a Facebook page as well on that. So that's number one. Number two, uh, we continue to work for the signature industries of Kentucky. Uh, we're about ready to reintroduce our Horse Racing Integrity Act uh, for our signature horse industry. We continue to work on making permanent the tax cuts that really benefited uh, the horse industry. Uh, the uh, Keeneland um, had a great sale and they, uh, uh, they do credit uh, some of the tax reforms that allowed for expensing, mm -hmm. that are churning uh, and helping with sales. The strong economy, of course, is helping uh, sales of yearlings at uh, Fasic, Tipton, and Keeneland as well. Uh, so we want to make those tax changes permanent for the horse industry. We also want to make permanent uh, the changes, the tax cuts for the bourbon industry, which is now employing 17,000 jobs directly in our region. Uh, that's a big deal. We want to make those tax cuts uh, permanent. Uh, and then we need to work on trade. We're working with the administration. We continue to communicate to the administration that some of the trade uncertainty is a problem for our bourbon exports. Uh, we're seeing the tariffs starting to bite, especially in Europe. And we've been working very closely with the Kentucky Distillers Association on that. I have met with Peter Navarro, the president's trade advisor, earlier this week. I once again reiterated to 
uh, Larry Kudlow, the president's top economic advisor, uh, that um, while I'm uh, generally supportive of the USMCA, the new uh, North American uh, Free Trade Agreement, uh, it still doesn't solve our, our problem with Kentucky bourbon. It doesn't solve that problem because the retaliatory tariffs are connected to the 232 steel and aluminum tariffs, which is not addressed in the USMCA. Uh, one a bit of positive news on the trade front is that uh, Mr. Kudlow did say that they were, they're making very good progress with China. This is really important. And this, is a, this has the potential of really, really improving the state of the American economy and our national security because – uh, we're starting to see some signs of some concessions that the that the Chinese are giving to us, both on on the some of the structural issues, meaning um, stopping some of the abusive practices, the forced transfer of technology, the theft of intellectual property, uh, and also the potential if we reach an agreement with China. And as I said, uh, Mr. Kudlow said that the president made good progress with the Chinese last week on this. We have the potential to open up uh, that market. Uh, to uh, up up to over 1.2 billion dollars in additional American exports to to China, that would help the trade deficit and it would make the American economy that much stronger. And especially uh, for agriculture, uh, that would very much help our agriculture sector. And if we can get those changes uh, to stop some of the abusive practices, the forced transfer of technology, the theft of our intellectual property. Uh, I think this could be a very positive development for both the U.S. economy and our national security. And the opiate problem here in Kentucky. Yeah, this is uh, this will continue uh, to be our priority, and unfortunately, it's our priority because we've we've got such a huge problem, both in terms of our poor southern border. Uh, I was glad to see that the Congress did appropriate an additional 1.4 trillion uh, billion dollars for a border security to stop uh, some of the flow of Ill- illegal drugs into our our country. Mexico continues to be the largest supplier of heroin into the United States. We had 70,000 overdose deaths in the United States. Um, uh, I support the president's um, executive decision to uh, reprogram. Uh, existing appropriated funds, uh, using, invoking statutory authority under the National Emergencies Act. Uh, On a macro scale, that's important to uh, stopping uh, and impeding the flow of illegal drugs into our country. And then on our end, we're going to continue to work in a bipartisan way to provide more appropriations to combat the opioid epidemic. And in particular, while we have appropriated funds for medication-assisted treatment for addiction recovery, uh, and that's helping, and that's coming to Kentucky. We're seeing an additional tranche of $30 million coming to help with medication-assisted treatment to help uh, people who are addicted and are in recovery. Uh, I intend to offer an amendment in the appropriations process this coming year to provide assistance to those organizations that go beyond medication-assisted treatment. We've got some wonderful organizations like uh, Shepherd's House here in central Kentucky that do great work, but they're not eligible for some of the the funds that we've appropriated for addiction recovery because they don't do medication-assisted treatment. They're in the business of long-term transitional housing. We need more funds for that as well. Right. Uh, Guy, you might want to comment. Well, thank you. I'm so glad to hear you say that, Andy. And and, uh, one of the things that that I, I wanted to ask you this morning about medically assisted treatment is it, it's good to hear you, you just said two things that I love number one the border wall it's I'm glad to hear we're finally talking about the problem is is one of our problems with our opioids is coming from Mexico and yeah. that's a huge issue and I'm surprised we haven't talked more about that the border wall will help that okay number two medically assisted treatment is um, also becoming part of the problem and i know you understand that you and your staff have been just outstanding in terms of your involvement with shepherd's house and all the other organizations in this community and learning how we operate but we need to pay close attention to that as well medically assisted treatment is good for the detoxification process which is typically between 30 and 60 days we need to pay put more emphasis on removing the suboxone type treatment programs out of treatment because what happens is so many of our folks end up getting hooked on the suboxone 
Yeah. Once they get out. And I'm glad you're aware of that. We are aware Working of hard for that. Yeah, and, you know? and, and the methadone clinics and the Suboxone and, and medication-assisted treatment, <clears throat> the, the federal government, SAMHSA, uh, they, they have a policy, and as a result, uh, the, uh, the state agencies that uh, are implementing it, uh, they have to follow SAMHSA guidelines. Uh, it, it is MAT is considered kind of the gold standard uh, evidence-based treatment, but you're right. That's for the... First step, that's the detox step. What we need and where we have a dearth of resources is after that step. That's right. We need the long-term transitional housing so that after people come out of that uh, short-term rehab program, now what? They're typically penniless. They've severed ties with their families. They don't have a job. They don't have a paycheck. Now what? Now they need some structure and they need a, a safe place to live so that they don't go back to that environment that put them in that that compromising position in the first place. We're going to focus on that in this Congress. And Gosh, that makes me so happy because you all know we've been talking about Shepherd's House a lot the last few months because of the opioid epidemic. That's what we do. For 30 years, we've been doing exactly what Congressman Barr is talking about. And I want to give you some big-time credit because your act last year, the the, uh, Thrive Act, and I know it, it got through the House, I guess it's, still in process but that was a big part of the solution and we're grateful for your work in that effort and we want to continue to push the thrive act uh, that did pass that my bill it did pass the house it did not pass the senate but the bill that did pass the senate and became law uh, i worked on with senator mcconnell the career act right and that's, that's more right. that's more um uh, community development block grants for um for uh, rehabilitation and recovery centers and also it ties in workforce investment funds. So, again, part of the workforce development issue, helping these folks get skills um, because they're assets. These people may have had a, a dark time in their lives. They may have had a period of addiction, but they are not liabilities. They are assets. We need to get them back in the workforce. They can provide a meaningful difference for employers, and they can reach their God-given potential for themselves with work. That's right. Thank, Thank you, Andy Barr, for being here today. I want to just thank you so much for being willing to spend some time with us that's our sixth district congressman andy barr very busy man stay with us you're listening to the tom dupree show news radio 630 wlap